Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to give you praise. We just want to say thank you for being a good daddy. Thank you for being a wonderful daddy. We thank you that this morning, your word will go out succinctly, powerfully, impactfully to change lives, to touch lives, to transform lives. In the name of Jesus, may we receive nuggets of wisdom that the Holy Spirit only is able to teach us. That each one of us will live here, oh God, with an acute awareness of the power of humility. And our humility is a pathway to more grace. Lord, help us to learn from Jesus this morning and help us to be doers of the word. We'll apply these words into our lives and these words will change our lives and propel us forward to be who you have designed and destined for us to be. We thank you for the entrance of your word this morning. We give light and understanding to every one of us. We thank you for this. Let your name be glorified and your people be edified. In Jesus' name, we pray. Before we step in, I just want to remind you that next week um, is communion service. So we're going to be running communion service next week at 3.30 p.m. I also want to announce to you uh, that um, I will be preaching a message next Sunday about grace. So please make sure uh, you attend. If you can come at 8 o'clock in the morning next week, I'll be talking about grace as the elevator and escalator of life. But today's message is the concluding part of the humility series that we began on the basis of the life of Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 verse 16 showed up in the presence of Pharaoh. When Pharaoh had these dreams, two dreams he had in different dimensions that meant the same thing. And he had nobody to interpret the dreams. And Joseph was brought out of the prison and was brought into the presence of, of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I have heard about your fame, about the fact that you can interpret any dream. And Joseph said, it is not I, O Pharaoh, that, we, is, that is able to interpret, interpret these dreams. That God himself will give Pharaoh a favorable response or an answer of peace. And we said by that statement alone, Joseph demonstrated that he is a man or he was a man who gave glory to God for everything that he has achieved. Now, the Bible makes us to understand that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, which means when God gives you a gift, he doesn't take the gift back. Now, you may use the gift for God. You may choose not to use the gift for God. You may use the gift without acknowledging God. You may use the gift and acknowledge God. Whichever way you take that gift to use, God doesn't take the gift back from you. I hope you understand that. So the gift and callings of God are without repentance. But when we acknowledge that the gift we have received and the ability to dispense that gift, the ability to use that gift to touch lives and, and, and touch many people, and we acknowledge, acknowledge God as the giver of that gift and also the giver of the ability to expend those gifts and be able to help other people, by that acknowledgement, we are glorifying God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, I believe, the Bible says that, that we should acknowledge God in all our ways and he will direct our path. Which means when 
we want to do something, we should acknowledge God and say, God is the giver of this gift. And the Bible says it will direct our path. Now, when you hear the word acknowledge, what comes to mind? Acknowledge is to, to, um, to essentially pay attention to the fact that what you have been given was a gift. So let's say, for example, it's your birthday and I bought you a gift. And the postman brought the gift to your house. And the gift has to be signed for. When you receive the gift and you sign for it, you have acknowledged that that gift has been received. So therefore, you know that somebody has thought about you, bought you that gift, and you are acknowledging by receiving it. So the Bible says that there is nothing that we have received that we have not been given. And the Bible then says, if everything we have received, we have been given then there's no need for us to boast about what we have received because God gave them to us. So if you have the knowledge, you have the attributes, you have the characters, you have, you know, all the things, all the gifts, things you do that come, these things you do that come to you easily, just acknowledge that God is the giver of that gift. That's simply humility. So today, I want to talk to you about a message that I've titled Divine Call to Action. Now, in order to understand divine call to action. I want to explain call to action itself in a different way. You see, a call to action or a CTA is what is used in, in the IT world. Or let's say you have a website. Uh, you might have seen a website before where they say, click on this button to download now. Or they will say to you, uh, click on this button to do this and do that. So you have that bot- button highlighted. It might be buy now button. It might be pay now button. It might be download now button. That's a call to action. That button is calling you to take action. Now, on the basis of you taking an action, that action, you are then going to access the resources on the back of that is that is on the back of the button. So you have the button like this. They say click here to get here. That click here, that button that says click here is a call to action. On the back of that click here, you have access to the resources. It might be a document. It might be a video, it might be a, a payment gateway that you then have access to to then continue. Okay. Now, when God was explaining this call to action to brought into me and is is linking that to humility, is essentially explained to me that you know when we commit our ways unto the Lord and when we trust Him, He will act on our behalf. Essentially, you're going through a challenge. You know, it is humility to commit your ways unto the Lord to put your trust in him and then he will act on your behalf. So CTA is derived from commit, trust, and act. Commit, trust, and act. And I pull this commit, trust, and act from the book of uh, Psalm. In the book of Psalm 37 verse 5, the Bible says, commit your way to the Lord in the Amplified Version Trust in him also, and he will do it. In the CEB translation, he reads, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he will act. So that is our CTA. Commit, trust, and act. Commit, trust, and act. Okay, so commit, trust, and act is our CTA. But how does that link to humility? Well, the way it links to humility is this. You see, when you go to First Peter chapter 5, verse 5-7, to 7, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger. Submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another 
and be clothed with what? Humility. Bible says we should submit one to another. We should be clothed, clothed with humility, right? Why? Why? Why should we be clothed with humility? Because God resists the proud and give and gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Then verse then says, because God gives the grace to the humble, he now says, you now humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The Bible says, we need to humble ourselves before God so that he can exalt us. What does that have to do with CTA? Wait, wait for a moment. The Bible then says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So the Bible says, when we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us. How do we? Humble ourselves before God in order for him to exhort us. One of the ways is by casting our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. We are casting our cares upon God because he cares for us. So when we cast our cares upon the Lord is an act of humility. Read that text again. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Which means acknowledge God. Acknowledge what he stands for. Acknowledge what Christ has done for you. Acknowledge the position that you are in Christ. Acknowledge the unique position that God has placed you based on the new covenant realities. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge. Receive that. Take note of that. When you acknowledge that, the Bible says he will exhort you. What essentially is saying is this. By acknowledging the realities of the new covenant... God is able to exalt you. Essentially, by acknowledging the work of grace upon your life, by acknowledging the merit of grace upon your life, by acknowledging the fact that God's grace is what you enjoy, that acknowledgement then allows you to be what? Exalted. Then verse 7 says, casting all your cares. So God, when you humble yourself, God exalts you. And how do you humble yourself? You cast all your cares upon him. Why do you cast your cares upon him? Because God cares for you. So it is pride now not to cast your cares upon Lord. You know, the opposite of humility is pride. So when we don't cast our cares upon the Lord, when you stay awake throughout the night and you, you beat yourself down, beat yourself down, beat yourself down, instead of just muttering a word of prayer, it's a form of pride. You should have, you could, you could just say, Father, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but I, I trust you anyway. I commit this matter into your hands. Thank you for helping me. Give me the wisdom that I need in this matter to know what to do. Because at times, right, when we go to challenges, we need wisdom. We need to know how do I navigate this issue that I've faced. And when we ask God for help, that help is available. So by asking God for help, when we find ourselves in the pickle, when we find ourselves in a situation whereby we don't know what to do, when we go back to this, Daddy, what am I going to do here? That is one of the highest form of humility. Why? Because when we cast our cares upon the Lord, we are acting in humility. So our divine call to action is premised on the fact that we are dependent on God by committing our ways unto him, by trusting him after we have committed our ways into his hands. And then the Bible says he will act on our behalf. Truth be told, under the new covenant, God already acted before we have ever had a request, before the bill is due, before the child is was sick, before the marriage is about to go as cans, before uh, the the uh, the uh, school fees is was due, before the child is about to go to uni, before the sickness showed up. 
God already made provision available in Christ. And therefore, when the Bible talks about committing our ways unto the Lord, essentially we are saying, Father, I acknowledge that in Christ Jesus, this is already done. Right now, I may not know what to do. But Lord, open my eyes to know the specific step to take. Help me to know what to do. Help me to do the right thing at the right time. Lead me and guide me. Now, when you ask that question, you are asking it, you are declaring it, you are making that statement based on what? On the finished work of Jesus Christ. You are not begging God for this. You are asking for direction based on what? Based on the fact that Christ has already done it. So, we commit our ways into the Lord's hand premised upon the promises of the new covenant premised upon what God has already said he has done. We commit our ways unto the Lord based on that. After we have committed our ways unto the Lord, we must do what? We must trust him. We must trust the fact that he is going to do what? Act on our behalf. So when we commit our ways unto the hands of the Lord and we don't trust him to act, then we are not being, we are not being humble. Humility is this. is I trust the character of God. I trust the character of God, even if I cannot hear what he's saying. Humility is this, that I may not see his hands moving, but I trust his heart. I know that God will always do good by me. That is humility. Humility essentially is saying, Daddy, I I cannot figure this out by myself, but I trust you, O Lord, that you are going to guide me, you're going to lead me, help me to understand what to do next. And I'm asking this because it is already mine based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. I hope that is making sense. Commit your ways unto the Lord. Trust him and he will act on your behalf. That is our CTA and that is humility. Humility essentially is casting your cares upon the Lord. For God does what? He cares for you. God cares for you. Say that with me. Say God cares for me. Let's say that again. God cares for me. Hallelujah. God cares for me. Psalm 55 verse 16. Psalm 55 verse 16 and verse 22 in the CEB translation reads, but I call out to God and the Lord will what? Rescue me. When I find myself in a challenge, I must learn to do what? Call out to God and he will do what? He will rescue me. The Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord. Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken. Cast your burden onto the Lord and he will support you. So if I refuse to cast my burden on the Lord, then I'm not taking his support in that matter. Uh, and Womack is one of, the, one of the great preachers. Share the story that I want to talk to you about quickly to buttress this point. He said one time when his his children were still young, I think they went to a place to play. I mean, they went to gym or I can't remember where they said they went to. And as they were about to leave the place, the younger child was trying to op- went ahead to try to open the door. And as he was trying to open the door, I think it was one of these swing doors, and his thumb got stuck in the door frame. And he was crying. And it tried to help him to open the door to release his hands, but he wouldn't let him. He just kept on crying, just kept crying, just, just kept on crying. And he was, he was saying to him, let me help you. Let me help you to remove this, this, the door so that your hands can be free. But the boy wouldn't listen. All right? The boy wouldn't listen. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, 
That is what you do when you don't ask for help. When you don't ask for help that is ready, readily available for you, you allow yourself to suffer under the pain, under the agony, but you don't ask for help. But some of you might be here to, and you might be saying to me, but Davis, I've had experiences where I've asked for help and nothing happened. I've had experiences where I've asked for help and nothing happened. Let me show you here. The Bible says, he that comes to God must believe that he is. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, when we ask God for help, there are many interplay in prayers that I don't have time to talk about here. But prayer is not just saying, um, speaking, throwing a word out. When we pray, I've shared this before in church. When we pray, we must allow the prayers to relate to the image we hold in our heart. So if you hold the image of positive outcome, right? And you are speaking words without conviction. That means you are, there's no synchrony in your house. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. What does that mean? It means if there's no synchrony, there's no unison, there's no unity in your makeup, then your heart will be looking for this, but your mouth is saying this. It is important to know that the heart and the mouth must synchronize when we pray. When we pray, we must pray the outcome, not pray what we don't want. So if I need healing in my body or I need a breakthrough financially, I must hold the picture of the outcome that I seek as already been done for me, as already been achieved for me when I pray. So as I vocalize, Father, I thank you for your provision. I must not see the lack of money, I must not see the fact that I'm struggling to pay my bill. Because when I do that, I am holding a different image compared to what I'm speaking about. The image in my heart and the words I speak must, must, must resonate together. This is how God has taught us to pray. The Bible says when you pray, Mark chapter 11, I believe, verse 24, when you pray, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, Believe you have received them, then you are going to have them. Whatsoever you desire, that's a desire. When you pray, pray about it. Commit into the into, into the hands of the Lord. But when you commit into the hand of, hands of the Lord, believe that you have received what you pray. How do you believe what you have received that you have prayed it? That is trusting in the Lord. You see that? That is so. The first one. Whatsoever you desire. When you pray, when you pray, that is committing. Your, 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 your desire into the hands of the Lord. That is commit. That is the C part of the CTA. Commit. Whatsoever you, whatsoever you desire. When you pray. When you pray, you are committing those things into the hands of the Lord. Right? Now, believe you have received. Not when you receive. But when you pray, believe you have received. What, at the time that you are praying, believe you have received. So, in order to believe you have received, that means you are trusting God. You are trusting that even though to believe you have received doesn't make sense when you have not received. But you trust that that is the principle that God has put together in his word that says, in order for you to receive a physical manifestation of your prayer, you must believe you have received that prayer when you are praying, not after you pray. When you are praying, you must receive it. Now, how do you do that? You go in your imagination and see yourself already achieving, receiving, enjoying the outcome that you desire. 
which is the reason why you pray. All right. So the Bible says, when you pray, believe you are received and then you are going to have it. So when you pray, it's when you believe you have received, but it will manifest in the future and you are going to have it in the future. And that is what, what, that, what does that mean? It means God is acting on your behalf when you then receive it. And that is a CTA. So you can see Mark eleven twenty four also works with commit, trust, and act. Commit your ways unto the Lord, trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. And this is humility. Humility means casting all your cares onto the Lord for he cares for you. That word casting your cares onto the Lord is exactly the same thing as what? Committing yourself into the hands of the Lord. Committing what you want into the hands of the Lord. Does that make sense now? Cast all your cares onto the Lord for he cares for you. You need to believe that God cares for you. That is trust. You need to believe that God cares for you. So when you cast your cares on the Lord and you, because God, because you believe that God cares for you, that's the reason why you're casting all your cares upon him. What are you doing? You are walking in humility. How that makes sense? All right. Now, I want to circle back and look at the life of Jesus. I want to show you something that I found in the life of Jesus Christ that showed me profoundly why, one of the reasons why Jesus Christ, when he walked on the earth, he was absolutely successful. Remember, humility, humility leads to more grace. More grace leads to more increase. So, this is how Jesus Christ demonstrated humility to us as a function of a divine CTA. In John chapter 5, verse 19, I mentioned this last week. I said, the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for what, what things soever he does, this also does the Son likewise. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's saying to us something profound here. He said, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Verily, verily, I'm saying this to you for a fact. That I, Jesus, I cannot do anything by myself. How is it possible, the one that raised Lazarus from the dead, the ones that come the, the, the raging storm, the one that healed blind Bartimaeus, the one that, that healed the, the man at, at, at the pool, the, the one that turned water into wine, the one that performed all these miracles that the Bible says, even if the whole, the whole volume of the books were to be put together, cannot contain, record all of the miracles that Jesus Christ did. But he says something to you. I cannot myself not do anything by myself, but what I see the Father do. Because whatever I see the Father do, that's what I do. And Jesus Christ was so dependent on God the Father that before he does anything, he will wait and hear what is headquarters saying about this matter. What is the Father doing about this matter? I want you to see a picture here. I'll just see a picture here. Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. Everybody was crying. Mary said, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and what? And the life. So he went to the tomb and he said something. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Ooh, I thank you that you have heard me. But for the, for the sake of these ones who are here, so that they will know that you have sent me, I am saying this, Lazarus, come forth. So essentially, Christ, between the time that Lazarus was 
when he was told that Lazarus was sick, at the time that he came to show up, about four days later, he had seen the father already raise Lazarus from the dead. He had seen that. He had seen that that is what he needed to do. And then he did exactly what the father did. For me, that's mind-blowing. Essentially, what he's saying here is this. What I see the father do is what I do. So essentially, Jesus Christ did not behave or act in a similar way in every situation. At times, he wants to heal somebody of, uh, of blind eye. What did he do? At times, he will, he will spit into... It was it will it will spat it is spat now yeah it will spat into um uh into mud and 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 rub the mud on somebody's eyes at times he will just say go your way to leprosy somebody has got lepros leprosy and say go your way go and show yourself to the priest essentially the his healing and his interaction with people is based on what he sees the father do now I want to hone in on a particular topic here why we are on this matter of Jesus Christ healing people. I got a question for you. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, How God, God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Let's take that scripture and unpack it. How God, who anointed Jesus Christ? God the Father, God anointed Jesus Christ, our Savior. God the Father anointed him. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Who went about? Jesus Christ did what? He went about doing what? Doing good. So God anointed Jesus Christ to do what? To do good. Okay, who went about doing good? And then healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. God anointed Jesus Christ to do what? To perform healing on those who were oppressed of the devil. Which means God is not the oppressor. God is the one who anointed Jesus Christ to deliver those who were oppressed. God is not the oppressor, but he is the deliverer. Because Christ delivered those who were oppressed of the devil. So God is not the oppressor. God is the deliverer. God is not a, a do badder, somebody who does bad things. There's no such word like that, but God is not somebody who does bad things. He does good. So God is a good God who delivers. God is a good God who delivers. I hope you're getting that. Now, the Bible says, he went about doing good and he healing all those who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus to do good, to heal all those who were oppressed of the devil and God was with Jesus. Which means everything that Jesus Christ did, it was God who was doing them. God the Father was the same one doing the work that Jesus Christ did. This is why Jesus Christ said here, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do? Here is a question. Somebody comes around and says to you, Oh, that sickness in your body. God placed that sickness on your body for his own good. God placed that sickness on his, on your body to give God to bring glory to Himself. God brought that sickness on your body, all right, to punish you. God brought that sickness on your body to do X, Y, and Z. It's part of the growth process. It's part of your wilderness experience. Bonkum. Why did I say that? Because that statement contradicted the assignment of Jesus. Everything that we saw Jesus Christ did when He was here. 
was in total contradiction of this statement that I've just made here. When somebody will say, God is putting signals on somebody to teach them a lesson. God is putting signals on somebody to, to build their character. Utter nonsense. People just come up and say utter nonsense. Now, we then have this mindset that God places sickness on people to bring glory to himself. Now, the question I've got to ask you is, how do you trust a God like that? How do you fall in love with a God like that? If you know and you believe that he places sickness on people to teach them a lesson. Question, will you do that, that to your child? In the book of Luke chapter 11, I believe, the Bible says that if you've been evil, know how to do, uh, give good gifts to your own children. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? The question God is saying to you here is this. If your child asks you for bread, you will not give your child a stone. If your child asks you for fish, you will not give your child a scorpion. You will not do that. You will not do that. If your child says, what, daddy, I need so so and so, you will you, you do whatever you, you need to do to make sure that your children are okay. I know. If my children say to me, hey, daddy, I want to buy pizza today, I, just, I don't think about it. I just say, just go do it. Right? That's me. And God just Christ is saying, in that Luke chapter 11, he's saying, if you can do good things for your own children, you, they can ask you for anything and you just give it to them. How much more will God give the Holy Ghost to them? We'll ask him. So you see, the idea that God gives sickness to teach somebody a lesson, the idea that God gives somebody a, a sickness to build up their character contradicts the very nature of God. If you will not do that to your own children, then please, I'm begging you, do not allow anybody to tell you that God placed a sickness on you or, or brought poverty into your life to teach you a lesson. It is all the doctrine of the devil. It's all the doctrine of the devil to make us to believe wrong. Now, remember, if you believe wrong, you are going to act wrong. If you act wrong, you get the wrong results. So the starting point is to believe right. Believe that God wants you well. God wants you to prosper. God wants the best for you. Believe that. Because when you believe that, it will change the way you think. When you change the way you think, it will affect the way you act. When you change the way, when it changes the way you act, you are going to get a different result. So Jesus Christ says here, I can of myself do nothing. What I see the Father do, that's what I do. So if you want to know who God the Father is, God the Father does, is not a mystery. It's not a mystery. That's a, I don't know how God behaves. If you want to know who God the Father is, you know what you should do? Go into this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at how Jesus related to people. How he related to... Look, I read, read it for yourself. Look at how he, he went about healing and helping people and meeting people that have problems and solving their problems. How he had compassion on people. How he loved children. Go and read it. Then you see, that is exactly 100% God the Father. It's not a mystery. Whatever you see Jesus Christ has done in the Bible, based on his earthly ministry, that's exactly who God the Father is. In fact, Jesus Christ is an expression of God the Father. Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, I believe. Hebrews chapter 1. Let me go there. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us exactly what I've just said here. The Bible here says, God in sundry times, God who at sundry times, God in the olden days and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet. Actually saying that in the days of Elijah, in the days of Moses, God spoke through who? To, to the prophet. But the Bible says in this last day, in these days in which we live, God speaks to us what? By his son. 
whom he had appointed to be heir of all things, by whom also he made the words. God speaks to us now in the language of Jesus. The language that God speaks today is Jesus. The Bovastri says, Tetna began, began to tell us who Jesus Christ is. He says, Christ is the brightness of the glory of God. He is the express image of God, of his person. The, when you see Jesus, you see God, right? And he opposes all things by the word of his power. So essentially, the Bible is telling us, whatever you see Jesus Christ has done in the Bible, it is God the Father who has done it. And that's how you know who God the Father is. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Verse 30 John chapter 5 verse 30 says the same. It says, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. I find that quite impressive. I cannot do anything on my own authority. Listen to me carefully. The Bible says that God gave, when Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says, God gave all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus. You know what authority means? Authority means the, 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 the delegated power to act. Delegated power to act. That's what authority means. This guy says here, when he was walking on the earth, when he came here on the earth to die in our stead, when he became human like us, he said, I cannot do anything by my own authority. I have no authority by myself to do anything. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because, why is my judgment just? Because I do not seek my own will, but only the will of him who sent me. This guy is saying to us here, as I hear, I judge. What does it mean as I hear, I judge? It means when he sees, when he encounters a matter, like, like I give an example, like the woman caught, caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery, under the law, should be stoned to death. And they brought her to Jesus Christ and said, Master, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. What do you say we should do? Jesus Christ bent down. They say a word. He wrote down, he wrote some things down and said, he that is without is he that is without sin should cast the first stone to stone the woman. He began to write. After a while, there was nobody left. And all of them checked their conscious conscience and realized, dude, we have done something wrong. We cannot we cannot say we are without sin. And they left the child, the, the, the girl alone. What did Jesus Christ say to the woman? He says, Woman, where are your accusers? Say, there's nobody here. He said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that tells us one thing. What? The father never condemns. See, when you look at Jesus, when you see the way he related to that, that woman, what she's done is wrong, right? But he didn't condemn. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, I want to show you something here. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I believe is in... Um, Verse 17, for God, the father, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send Jesus Christ to condemn the world. You see, some people just say, God is going to condemn the world. That is not even the purpose of Jesus Christ. He said, God did not send him to condemn the world. What did God send Jesus Christ to do? To save the world. That's the reason why his name is Jesus. The name Jesus Christ means Yeshua saves. His name means Yeshua saves. When the angel showed up to Mary, he said, this child shall be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from all of their sins. Jesus Christ's name means Yeshua saves. And that's why he lived up to that name by saving the world. 
I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. So now, you want to know who God is? God is not a condemner. He doesn't condemn people. God is not a, a do-badder. I said that earlier, bad word. I understand that. But you, you get what I'm saying? God doesn't do bad. God is a good God. No, God only wants the good for you. God is a healer. Sickness in your body, God desires to heal you. He's not the one placing sickness upon you. So now we see here, just because I can of my own accord do nothing by my own authority, as I hear I judge. So somebody was caught in the act of adultery. How did Jesus Christ judge? Jesus Christ said, I do not condemn you. That is the father judging. That's the father saying to Jesus Christ, this one I don't condemn. Jesus Christ opened his mouth and said, I do not condemn you. And he says, because why is his judgment fair? Because I do not seek my own will and only the will of him who sent me. So when we begin to seek our own will, begin to seek our own will, only our own way or the highway, we are not being humble. We should ask and say, Daddy, what is your will in this matter? What will you want me to do in this matter? And whatever he wants you to do, when you work in what he wants you to do, you are working in humility. I hope that that's, that's blessing you. This message is blessing me so much because essentially saying, when you want to say, how can I have more grace? Just look at the way Jesus Christ lived. And listen to me. His spirit is already in you. is in me. So we can live this life by the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was so dependent on the Father that he only does what the Father wants him to do and he, he only does what he sees the Father does. He only does what he hears the Father do. That is it. That is it. And he is the one that God the Father wants us to emulate. If we don't depend on God the way Jesus Christ depends on God, you know what will happen? We will end up walking in pride. Why? Because we are going to start to seek personal glory. We are going to begin to see, seek, you know, to shift attention. Why? To ourselves instead of to the finished work of Jesus Christ. My prayer for you and myself is that Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, help us, O Lord, to shift attention away from ourselves, away from the accolades of men, but to shift our attention, O Lord, to the finished work that you have done on Calvary's Hill. Help us, O Lord, to articulate ourselves and carry ourselves in our, in our, in our behavior to realize that you are the one who is numero uno, that it is only you and only you alone. We thank you for this. We thank you for helping us. Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, I want to show you something in verse 44 of that same text. John chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus Christ says this. How can you believe when you seek and receive glory and approval from one another? And yet you do not seek the, the glory and approval which comes from the one and only God. This verse is saying this. If you are struggling to believe God in a particular area, please check that you, your, 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 Unbelief is not stemming from the fact that you are seeking hum, human glory and human approval. That's what he was telling them. He was saying, Oh, they say, Oh, we, we are this, we are that. I said to him, Listen, you are trying to seek glory among yourselves. That's why you don't believe. How does that relate to us? If a particular scripture that I love so much, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, We are holy, blameless, and without a single fault. The Bible says, Christ died to present us to God in the body of his flesh to be holy and blameless without a single fault. That's what that scripture says. Okay. 
Now, if you if you don't believe that, perhaps somebody has told you before and said, you are not holy. No one is holy, only God. You are not righteous. You are, you are, not, you are not righteous. There's, no, there's no, no one righteous. No, no, not one. But remember, there was an exchange that happened at Calvary's Hill where your sin was exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus. And that exchange happened. And that's why God gave you his own righteousness. So, if somebody is quoting an Old Testament scripture that says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. That statement is correct in that dispensation. But under the new covenant, that statement is not correct. Why? Because Christ now has given you his own righteousness. So now you can say, I am righteous because of the righteousness of God that I have in me. I am righteous because God has credited into my account his own righteousness. I am righteous because God has made me righteous. Now, if you believe what the word of God says, then you don't need approval of men. But if somebody comes around and to say to you, because maybe they are known all over the world, or they are one powerful man of God, or they might be your church member, or they might be your friends, or they might be your family member, and they came to tell you and say, no, you are not righteous. My pastor said to me, you are not righteous. Nobody can be righteous. And you believe that above what the Bible teaches, in the, what God has shown you in the world, then you are not acting in, in humility. Do you see where, where this is going? This is actually saying, every time we choose the accolades of men, the viewpoint of men, the viewpoint of the world system, above the viewpoint of God, we are not depending of God on God. We are not acting in humility. And what normally would happen, we would end up not believing the promises of God. Now, when you don't believe the promises of God, it doesn't work for you. They don't work for you unless you believe. So how can you believe when you're seeking honor from one another? Another point to look at is this. God says to you, by his stripes, you have been healed. And you said, you, the doctor tells you, I say, you are not healed. Things, bad things are going to happen to you. And then you believe the word of the doctor. Instead of believing, God says, by his stripes, I'm healed. Then you are not acting in, in humility. Your faith will not work unless you believe the word of God above the word, the words of other people around you that contradict the word of God. That's essentially what Jesus Christ is saying. Grace is God's power to take you to where you can you cannot get to by yourself. But this grace is not just required for the initial salvation experience, but it's required for the ongoing work with God. If you don't depend on God. For our outcomes, we will depend on ourselves, we will depend on the world system, we will depend on the words of other people. So, what is driving everything we do? Is it human approval or God approval? If it's God's approval, then we will have faith. But if it is eye service that we're doing, then our faith will not work. Jesus Christ says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am gentle and noble in heart. Jesus Christ says, when you are humble... When we are humble in our heart, we'll find rest in our minds. John Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I spoke about this a week ago or two weeks ago, and I said here, just by saying, I am gentle and humble in heart. You want to find rest for your soul? Take my yoke. Let me be yoked together with you. Let me be yoked together with you. Yoke with me. Learn from me. As you learn from me, you realize that I am gentle and humble in heart. And when you realize that I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you are learning that gentility and humbleness of heart from me, you will find rest for your soul. 
Now, the Bible here says you will find rest for your souls, not your spirit. Why? Because in third John chapter 2, third John chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Again, that was soul. Soul prosperity is what he's talking about here. In Matthew 11, 29, this guy says, you will find rest. You'll find rest. You'll find shalom for your souls. Shalom means peace. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Shalom there means prosperity. He's saying to you, when you take my yoke upon you and you learn gentility and humbleness of heart from me, just guys is saying, you'll find prosperity for your soul. Now, why is soul prosperity important? Because Todd John 2 says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as the soul prospers. Actually, Bible says, actually saying, you will prosper and you will be in health to the extent that your soul prospers. So you see here, the extent of your soul prospering determines the extent of your prosperity in every area of your life and in the healing for your body. So God is saying to you, I desire for you to be prosperous in every area of life. I desire for you to be prosperous in your body. But this prosperity is to the extent to which your soul prospers. How does your soul prosper? Your soul will prosper when you embrace the gentility of Jesus with the humility of his heart. So prosperity is about what? My renewer is about allowing your heart to embrace what God has done for you. A person cannot prosper above the way that their soul prospers. For example, you know, if you start to think about some bad things are going to happen, some bad things are going to happen, and you get troubled in your mind, you know, that mind that is troubled will release toxins in your body. And that toxins in your body can cause sickness in your body. So a heart that is muddled up and ruffled and unsettled and anxious, that is not a soul that is prospering. That soul, will, because that soul is not prospering, it will lead to physical sickness in the body. So that the soul that is prospering, the body cannot prosper. That is the link between it. Okay. Also, if there's a soul that believes in poverty as a sign of holiness, that believes that God is uh, taking him or her through uh, these challenges to build character, that soul has not prospered because that soul is as believed a lie. Therefore, that soul cannot manifest prosperity in every area of life. So, therefore, soul prosperity is key to manifesting prosperity in every area of life and to manifesting healing in the body. So, and how do you get soul prosperity? Yoke with Jesus. Yoke with Jesus. Learn his gentility and learn his humbleness of heart. Embrace your call to action. Embrace your divine CTA. Commit your life, commit your what you are believing God into your hand, in what you are believing God for into his hands. Trust that based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, he is as moved or is moving. He has moved and is moving in your life. Then you are going to what? Receive it. He's going to, the action that he has done will manifest in your life. And that's your divine city. Humility, people of God, is our divine city. Jesus Christ showed us humility. Humility. I cannot read, go to the, through the length of it, but when you have a moment later in, in, in your Bible, personal Bible study, read Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 16. You'll find it there, therefore, that the Bible says, Christ humbled himself. How did he do that? 
The Bible says, the same mind, verse 5, the same mind, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have the same mind that Christ had. What mind did Christ have? Verse 6 says, even though he was in the form of God, he does not think it robbery to, to be equal with God. Even though they are both the same, he didn't, he didn't have to fight for position. You know, when we fight for position and grab this and grab that, we are not being humble. We're not allowing God to exhort us. And I'm speaking for myself as well, right? We need to allow God to exhort us in due season. The Bible says in verse 7, but, he, but Christ made himself of no reputation. How did he make himself of no reputation? Because he took on the form of a servant. What does that mean? The Bible says he was made in the likeness of men. Do you know what it means for Christ, the second person in the Trinity, the one that was there when the earth was made, when everything was made, to leave all that power behind and come to the earth? And he had to be born in a manger. He had to be uh, nursed. You know, they wear pampers and, and wear clothes for him. He has to learn how to walk like a human, like, like a human being. He has to learn, uh, you know, he has to learn how to cry. He has to walk on this dirt, dirt, dirty, dirty street. He, where, where he was coming from was a street paved with gold. That is humility. He became like us. That's what the Bible says. He humbled himself to become like us. Why? Because he had you in mind. Because you were the object of his love. Because he had you in mind, he, he, he became like us. The Bible says in verse 8, he was found in a fashion as a man. He became like a human being. He actually was a human being that came. He was, he was fully God, fully man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. He, he died on the cross. Can you imagine how God, the one that made the universe, allowed himself to be, to be splayed on a cross and nailed to the cross? Can you imagine for God, who made heavens and the earth, who can do everything, allowed himself to be spat upon by, by soldiers. Can you imagine how God allowed himself to be, to be, to, for his head to be rammed with the, the crown of thorns? Can you imagine God allowed himself to be flogged and, and his, this, his skin was being torn apart? Can you imagine God allowed himself to be taken care of by Mary that he created? Can you imagine all of that? And that is humility. That humility that he, he, he chose to humble himself to become like us, to leave all the glory of heaven behind and, and begin to learn to walk as a human being. That's why he depended on the Holy Spirit so much. He couldn't do anything by himself. He had to say, he had to ask Holy Spirit. So in this matter, what am I going to do? Holy Spirit will tell him, do this and do that and do that. That dependence on God through the Holy Spirit was what made Jesus Christ to be successful. He humbled himself. He depended on the instruction from the Father. So much so that when the Father says, now I start to go to the cross, he said, yes, let's go. Even when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he wanted to, his, his body was saying, oh God, let this come be taken over from me. But he said, let not my will, but your will be done. And he went on the cross. The Bible then says, because he did this, God highly exalted him and gave him a name, which is above every other name. So you see here, he humbled himself. And what did God the Father do? God exalted him. That is it. Humility leads to more grace. More grace leads to what? More increase. You want God to elevate you? Embrace humility. Embrace humility. Humility is the pathway to more grace and more honor. Praise God forevermore. The Bible says in John, uh, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, verse, verse 6. The Bible says, and God gives, he, uh, sorry, and he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, 
As scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to who? Those who are humble. Those who are humble. Like Jesus Christ became humbled, was humbled, and God elevated him and gave him a name above every other name. Those who act like that, who humble themselves, who honor God, who place him as, as, as number one, who commit their lives, their lives into, into his hands and trust him to come through for them and, and trust him to act, trust, trusted him to act on their behalf, these people are the ones that God elevates. So the Bible says, humble yourself before God. When you humble yourself, you receive the devil and he flee from you. So one way in which you humble, you, you show humility is resisting the devil. I just, I just have so much to say here. One way in which you show humility is resisting the devil. When the devil comes to you and start to put all kind of weird thoughts in your mind, when you are resisting the devil and say, no, come and get out of here, you are acting in what? Humility. So humility is not passiveness. It's not being a doormat. It's not allowing someone to run over you. No, humility, humility really is taking your place in the kingdom. Humility is understanding who God has made you, understanding who you are, and acting on it. If you don't act on who on, on who you are, if you don't if you don't understand who you are, and you allow yourself to be run to be run roughshod by the devil, you are not acting in humility. You are allowing yourself to be what? Humiliated. Humiliation is not for you, child of God. God does not want you to be, to be humiliated. God wants you to what? To humble yourself and be exalted. And that's why humility is our divine call to action. Humility will help you to demonstrate the grace of God to others. But you have to submit to God. You have to be humble. To accept his correction. As I, as I begin to round up, remember this. Being humble means when you have a challenge, you can cast your cares on the Lord. You can commit your, your challenges to the Lord. You can trust that he is going to act on your behalf. And you can trust that that action will manifest in your life. So if there's anyone today, you've got challenges, you've got some things that's going through, through you that you you don't know what to do. I want to share with you uh, seven things there about that you can begin to do to cultivate humility today. Number one, trust God. Remember how far that God has brought you. Anytime your mind wants to begin to dilly-dally, just remember how far God has brought you and trust Him. Number two, spend time listening. Spend time listening. In your relationship with other people, it is better to listen more than to speak too much. Listen, what are they saying? What can I learn from what they're saying? When you listen, somebody will see you as somebody who has a lot of power. People that talk too much, yeah, they talk too much, there's no power. Listen, listen to people. Number three, be present. Be present. Find some time to do some meditation. When you meditate a lot, you will calm yourself down. You become more grounded, more present. Learn to do meditation from time to time number four be grateful gratitude i can't go into it you know but i've got a book called the gratitude code you know you can go in there and practice a gratitude challenge a 30 day gratitude challenge gratitude actually means be grateful for what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have instead of grumbling and complaining about what you don't have in your life be grateful for what you have all right as you practice gratitude you know what will happen the predominant emotion around you will be more that which harmonious to what God has already ordained for you. The next one is ask for help when you need it. Ask for help. With that, this is your call to action. 
ask for help. If you need help, ask for it. Ask for it. All right. If pride lies in saying, oh, I can solve all my problem by myself. If you need help, just ask for it. Okay. When we need help, ask for it. Another one is seek feedback from others on a regular basis. Look, listen, people who are successful in life, they, uh, like my, like, like my mentor says, feedback, feedback is a breakfast of champions, which means when you get feedback from people, because you want to improve yourself, you take that feedback, use that to improve yourself. After a while, you find out that you just get better over time. But some of us, including myself at times, when you get feedback, you start to, oh, I don't want to take that. You start to get upset. But that's not the right way to do it. Humility means you are able to take feedback from other people on a regular basis to improve yourself. And finally, review your actions against the language of pride. What's the language of pride? Smugness, snobbery, vanity, unpleasant words. That's those are the language of pride, right? Okay, there's nothing wrong in being proud of what you have achieved, but be careful not to look down on other people, right? Don't look down on other people. So review your action constantly and say, Father, am I walking in pride? And if you find yourself walking in pride, listen, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Just say, Father, help me. Help me, Almighty God, to acknowledge the fact that humility is what you want and that it is humility that will take me to the place where I need to get to. And as you say that prayer in your heart and you trust God, remember, commit trust and act. Just trust God. God begins to bring help to you to take you out of that. Remember, God wants you to succeed more than you ever desire to succeed yourself. So his resources resources are available for you to take advantage of, but you have to take advantage of them. I hope that is making sense. All right, my time is now up. I just want to say a word of prayer. Also pray this prayer together. Prayer will be on the screen. Uh, it's a simple prayer. Simple prayer. This is been a challenging topic to preach because we all need it. And please remember, this topic is not about uh, performance mindset. It's about understanding that the same mind that was in Christ is what God wants us to embrace. The mind where we commit our lives into the hands of God. We trust his character. We trust his heart. And we know he's going to act on our behalf. And part of humility means we take our position. We don't say, oh, God, we do it. We just take our position. If God has given you authority in a particular area, exercise your authority. If you don't exercise your authority when you are meant to exercise your authority, then you are not being humble. You are going to end up being humiliated. And that God does not want humiliation for you. So please say this prayer with me. Say, help me, Lord. To choose humility. Today, I see humility leads to more grace. And more grace leads to more progress and achievement. Father, thank you for helping me. And for helping me to see myself the way you see me. I thank you. That I am humble and humility is a character trait that I embrace from this day forward in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for helping me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, until next time, remember, you are blessed and highly favored. Please, as you go here today, just remember, you have a call to action. And that is humility. Humility will open doors for you. will give you more grace. And more grace will give you more increase. You are blessed. And I had a favor. I'll speak to you another time. God bless you.